Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Happy Sunday, my name is Adam, I'm the pastor here if you're new. Welcome to the Vineyard if you're online for the first time. What's up? I'm going to have a beverage, and then we're going to start. Hey, this is the second week in our series where we're really trying to investigate what is the story of the Bible. And the reason that we're doing that is because one of the things that we talked about last week is that the world is filled with stories and that human beings are storied creatures, and we actually need stories in order to make meaning of the world. There's actually so much happening that stories are a way to concentrate what's happening and organize it in a fashion that actually communicates meaning and gives our lives meaning. Because of that, we also recognize there's lots of stories in the world, and it's entirely possible for your good intentions to be hijacked by a story that maybe runs counter to your ultimate purpose or to the intention that you'd like to have for your life. Does this make sense? Like, it's entirely possible that we could, we could fall into a national story or a historic story or a political story or a trauma story and end up having that story hijack the kingdom story, which as we saw from uh, Daniel chapter two, is the story that is going to utterly replace every other story. So why would you give yourself to something that isn't going to last? That's a four minute version of last week's message. If I could do it in four minutes, why did I take 30? That's (laughs) preaching. But here, here's our prayer, and I just, if I could, um, could you put that up for me, Eli? This is our prayer in this series, that every inferior story would be replaced, whether it's a national story, a political story, a cultural story, a familial story, a trauma story, whatever, my hope is that at the, at the vineyard, we would live out of the kingdom story. That's really what we're wanting to do. And so in order to do that, uh, we need to have, our, have ourselves very familiar with the kingdom story, which is presented in the Bible. We like actually need to reinvestigate what is this story that's inside of the Bible. Of course, the Bible is a collection of a lot of stories, but then there are these bigger themes, and that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. I think it's going to take us eight weeks. It might take us longer. I keep looking at my little board in my office and I've like keep shuffling it around and I've got it at eight, but it could easily be 10 or maybe 12. We'll just see. I don't know. The Bible's a big book, but I do know that what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about goodness. I want to talk about goodness. And this morning, uh, the title of the message is goodness and all of her friends. Goodness has friends, by the way. And what I want to do is I want to start in the beginning. That'd be Genesis That'd be Genesis. So if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, you might open up to the book of Genesis. It's at the very start. Like maybe if you've never picked up the Bible, just start at the start. And we're going to look at maybe the first three chapters this morning. But I want to start at the beginning. Because if you're talking about stories, it's always important to start at the beginning. And maybe you know some part of the Bible. And you know that in the beginning of Genesis... It's the story of the creation of the earth. It's the story of the creation of the animals and the plants and the sun and the moon and the stars. It's the cosmic story. But the feature that I want to key in on this morning 
And uh, Eli, we don't have to put that up just yet. Even though that's the beginning, thank you. The, 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 the feature that I want to key in, key in on in the story this morning is, is the feature of goodness. So here's what you'll find if you open up the Bible to Genesis and you begin to read those opening chapters. One of the words that just keeps coming up over and over and over again, in fact, it comes up, depending on how you count it, either 10 or 12 or maybe 13 times in the first three chapters is the word good. Is the word good. Is, is, is that one of the words that you attach to the kingdom story? I hope it is. Because like at the root of it, when God begins to open up with everything that he makes, and when the people who wrote the Bible wrote it first, and when the dudes later came and organized the Bible, the first story they told was not just a creation story, even though that's what it is, but it's also a story about goodness. 12 times over and over again in the first three chapters, things are good. And so Eli, I wanna start here. Genesis chapter one, verse three. Genesis chapter one, verse three. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Next. God called the dry ground land. No, my dude, I got it right here. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said that it was what? Good. It's good. And then in verse 10, God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. Let me flip over to 30. I'm actually skipping these in, in some ways. We can go to 31. God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was what? Very good. This is like at the end of everything he's making. So he's like making dry ground. It's good. He makes the seas. It's good. Then at the end of all of creation, God looks at everything and he says, it's very good. That's just three moments in quick succession in which God keeps saying something that he has done. He looks at it. And he's like, this is really good. 12 times, three chapters. And just like in, in a Taylor Swift song, repetition is telling us what's important. Like Tay-Tay likes to repeat lyrics over and over again because it adds emphasis and the emphasis is telling us what's important to her. And so in the same way, when God is writing a story or when the person who wrote Genesis is writing a story, the repetition of certain key words is telling us what is most important. And in fact, it's goodness. And here's what that means. I just wanna unpack this a little bit. In the kingdom story, or in the story of the Bible, or in the story of God, goodness is one of the keys. It's like a main key. God does things, he makes things, uh, he says things, he sees things, and when he, when he does all of these things, the thing that he keeps coming back to is, wow, that's really, really good. And here's what that means. It means this. It means if you encounter goodness, somehow, some way, you're encountering God no matter where you find goodness. So think about life right now. Think about your life, think about the world, think about the place that we live or the family that you're planted into or the school that you go to, any place that you find goodness. Maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a dinner, maybe it's on a walk, any place you find goodness, one of the things you're finding is some kind of a hint or an echo of God. Goodness is a part of his story. Goodness is the fingerprint of God. And, and here's one of the things that we find not only in Genesis, but if we reflect on our life, we find that apparently God has been pretty liberal with goodness. He's kind of sown in everywhere. The second thing that this means, and this is actually very important, is it means this. It means that life is good and creation is good. 
Now, it's really weird that I have to say this in church, but I have to say this in church because some of us have grown up in church traditions where we've, so, where we've somehow absorbed the story that life is bad or that creation is bad or that people are mostly bad. Like we get these stories like, well, everything's bad, right? And you, maybe you came from a church tradition where every single Sunday, the preacher just got up and yelled a bunch about how everything is bad, you know? Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And let me tell you, how many of y'all know that some stuff is bad? So Pastor Adam is not like entering into deeper denial here, but if that's the main story that we focus on, we've missed it somehow. Like it isn't mostly bad, like there's goodness and it's like everywhere. And one of the things that we have to pick up from Genesis is, is that life is good and creation is good. Creation is good. Like the stuff is good. Like the ground is good. Uh, the earth is good. Uh, the plants are good. The trees are good. And yeah, are things altered? Sure. But underneath whatever was altered is goodness and it remains. Like, like as powerful as sin is, and depending on the tradition you grew up in, maybe that was a real big deal in your Christian formation. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but I just want to tell you that as powerful as sin is, sin cannot remove goodness. It cannot remove goodness. Like, like your intuition, your human intuition, when it encounters goodness, like in another person, whether they're a Christian or not, your human intuition, when it encounters goodness, like in the world, whether it has a cross and like sheep and a shepherd painting beside it somewhere or not, it doesn't matter. Your human intuition was not wrong. It was actually right. Like the cosmos is baked in goodness. Your life has been birthed in goodness. Don't let go of that intuition. This is the Bible story. Sometimes we think the story of God is guilt, right? Like, let's just be honest. Sometimes we think it's guilt or sometimes we think it's fear or sometimes we think it's oppositional to the world. You know, sometimes we grew up with this thing and we think, oh, well, the story of God is that he's like against stuff. <sighs> no, he's for stuff, right? God is not just against stuff, he's for stuff. Or that like maybe somehow the, the God story was against the planet or he was against work or he was against jobs. But here's the truth. The center of the story in Genesis is one of goodness. God is good and the things that he does are good. The things that he makes are good. The plans that he has are good. Everything that God puts his hand to is good. The goodness is baked in. And no matter what sin is or does, it can't really remove that most indelible fact, which is the thing at the root is goodness. And here's what that means right now. It means that you and I are surrounded by goodness. Like even this morning, there's goodness in here. You know, why is there goodness? Because well, there's people in here. That'd be the main thing. But there's, there's goodness in here. The spirit of God is here with us. Jesus says, if a couple give, of you get together in my name, I'll be there with you too. Like Jesus is here. He is here with us by the spirit. Like goodness is here. And, and we have coffee. And it's good. It's really good. I've got really jacked up on it this morning. I haven't had any water. I have some water over here. I haven't drank it. You know, I'm keyed up. And that's good. <laughs> and, and we have a roof over our heads that keeps the rain off. And like, we're just surrounded by goodness. If you give your brain even 10 seconds to consider it, like we're, there's goodness everywhere. And, and we have families 
and, and hopefully there's some love in our families and, and the kids are over there in that other wing and we can't hear them. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, there's a lot of goodness here, right? <clears throat> For some of y'all, this is the only 30 minute break you're gonna get in the day. Like, it's, soak it up. The thing underneath the thing is goodness. And sometimes Christians get confused about the kingdom story or we become mostly cross-armed, you know? We become mostly cross-armed or opposing. Like, like being a good Christian means being against things, you know? Like boycott culture or whatever, because they're bad. Or we become experts in looking for the bad. Man, that's, that's, the, that's a thing that Christians sometimes do, and it's the worst thing a Christian could do is become an expert in looking for the bad. My goodness, the universe, the cosmos is soaked in goodness, and then we became an expert in what's wrong. What? I mean, there are things that are bad. Life is complicated. I'm not erasing that. But we can't become simply cross-armed experts in what's wrong. We have to start from the beginning. And from the very beginning, creation has been imprinted with the goodness of God. Now, I've titled this talk, Goodness and All of Her Friends, because goodness has some companions. And there's some other stories that kind of get woven into this goodness story. There's some other stories and some other Words And if we look at goodness, uh, we have to actually expand it a little bit so that we can get the, the Bible story of what goodness actually means. If we don't expand it and get what the Bible means by goodness, well, then we end up with a saccharine version. Not like real sugar, not like honey, but like saccharine. The stuff that, you know, you know the fake sugar stuff? It's just deadly. Yeah, it's like totally deadly. Or we end, up, we end up with mere sentimentality. If we don't actually handle the scriptures as they are and go, yes, goodness, and, and what kind of goodness is the scripture talking about? Then we end up with sentimentality, you know, like Hallmark cards, you know? Or, or, we, just, or we end up in idealism, you know? Like just like only able to hold the ideal, and then if we encounter anything else, we just kind of collapse, we, we just collapse. We become like real low capacity people because our idealism damaged us in our expectations. And so in order to avoid that this morning, I wanna add four words to goodness. And because I'm a preacher, they all start with C. <laughs> I never do that, but I did this morning. I, I, I'm pretty proud of myself. Four words, I'll give them to you now in case you wanna take notes. Uh, the first word is creation. What is goodness connected to? Well, one of her friends is creation. Uh, second word, constraint. Dang, what? Third word, contested or competition. And then the fourth word is communion. These are all words that come from the text this morning. Let's dive right into creation. Man, I got my work cut out for me. Everybody good? I have a little more work to do this morning than normal. Is that okay? I need your permission. <laughs> okay, thank you. I have a little more work to do. Let's start with creation. We've already hinted at this, but I just want to hit this one more time and maybe a bit fuller. Creation is one of the companion words to biblical goodness in the story of God. It's one of the companion words because the Bible opens with the fact that God is a good creator and creation is his work, and it's his good work. We can fill this out a bit. Eli, why don't we put up those opening verses, one and two. 
in the beginning, this is how the whole thing starts. This is how the whole story starts. In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. That'd be important. Why don't you underline those words? Formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters, but the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is amazing stuff here. We see that creation begins as the earth is formless and void. And creation is God bringing form to the formless and adornment to the nothingness. This is, this is what, what goodness does when it encounters formlessness or a void of nothingness. It brings form to the formless and adornment to the nothingness. And by the way, this is precisely what is good. This is precisely what is good. Let's do a little thought experiment here for a moment. Uh, we live in a world that is formed. It's filled with forms and lots of things are already formed. Now imagine, if you will, uh, things becoming formless or things becoming unadorned and things falling into a void of nothingness. In any other words that we could put with formless or a void of nothingness? It's not a trick question, by the way. You can interact with me here. I'm sorry? Blank. Blank. Any other words? I'm sorry? Empty. Right? This is part of what the Bible is saying. There's something blank, but there's something in the blankness. There's something empty. Formless. Imagine something that had a form and it became formless. It's almost a destructive word, isn't it? And God comes and he brings like form to the formless and he brings adornment to the nothingness. There's a sense in which uh, God is bringing order to the disorder. Does that make sense? Right? How many of you have ever been in a situation like a family situation, a relational situation or a work situation that was filled with disorder? Anybody ever work at a warehouse? Amazon. <laughs> uh, but anybody ever work in a place where there was like lots of disorder? How does it feel? How does it feel when you just walk into disorder, whether it's relational disorder or even like physical disorder? It feels like chaos, doesn't it? It feels like chaos. And isn't it interesting that even at a emotional level to walk into an atmosphere that is like chaotic or disordered, it begins to have an emotional effect on us? What is that about? Oh, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about Genesis 1, 1 and 2. That when we encounter formlessness or when we encounter the, the nothing of absence, the emptiness, the blankness, there is something there that is disordered and we pick up on it at a spirit level, at an emotional level, and it affects us, right? Uh, how many of you have ever had a room that was like, like a, just a trash can? You know, your room is a trash can and, and it's just terrible. Like you've got 27 glasses of water on your nightstand and all your books you never read are everywhere and all your dirty clothes and your clean clothes. It's just, it's a trash can, right? Yeah, it's, and it, how does that feel? It feels terrible. It feels literally terrible. And then, and then isn't it weird that you could spend 30 minutes, and by the way, it never takes longer to clean your room than like 30 minutes. Like we avoid it, but in the end, it was 30 minutes, right? You put a podcast on and you clean your room. You're like, fold your clothes and you hang them up and you, and you get the dirty ones out and you sweep the nooks and crannies and you make your bed and you get all the water glasses out into the kitchen and you walk back into your room and how does it feel? 
feels amazing. It feels like I could rest in here. What is that? It is moving from formlessness to form. It is moving from the, from the absence to something. It's moving from chaos to order. And this is what? It's good. It's good. There is something about order that is good. There is something about shape that is good. Uh, let me tell you, how many of you have ever been at odds with another person and you, you, you know, whether they were ready for it or not, you went to them and you repented, you asked for forgiveness, or you did any of the things and you like repaired your relationship. How does that feel? feels good. Why? Because until you work it out, there's something formless between you. There's chaos, there's disorder, and working it out is bringing form to that relationship again. It's Genesis 1, 1 and 2. I mean, this pattern just keeps being repeated over and over and over and over again, and it feels good because it is good. That is why this is the story of creation. God brings the world into being by making it have form. Formlessness and emptiness or chaos, it's the opposite of good. The sun holds the planets in place by gravity. The earth turns on its axis. We move with celestial precision and that movement creates days. Those days create seasons. The moon creates oceans. Uh, waves in the oceans, it allows plants to grow, it allows crops to mature, it, it, it causes food for animals, uh, life for people, things become a sustainable, beauty emerges, and intertwined into all of this is goodness. Why? Because there's form to it. The cosmos is filled with form and goodness. And that means a few things for us. It means three things. By the way, this is the biggest section. The others will go quicker. It means three things for us. Uh, number one, uh, we can experience goodness by noticing our world. Like some of us are like, man, I feel X, Y, Z. I feel depressed. I feel disconnected from God. I feel alone. I feel like what are, whatever the feelings are. Uh, don't ignore your feelings, but investigate those feelings. But if you want to have an encounter with goodness, one of the most basic ways to encounter goodness is to begin to notice your world because the world is filled with goodness. Like, like notice your world, your little house, your family, uh, your place on the street. Uh, also notice, notice the natural world. Notice the order of seasons. Uh, plant a garden. Do anything that, that causes you to have to pay attention to life at a more granular detail and you will encounter goodness. And if you encounter goodness, you're encountering God. Number two, we can experience goodness by experiencing creation. Like just go outside, like simply go outside. How many of you have ever noticed that if you just take a 30 minute walk in the woods, you feel better? It's like, I don't even know what that was. You know, I didn't do anything. I walked, got my heart rate up a little bit and I didn't put my earbuds in and I left my phone in my pocket and I just went on a walk in the woods. I just went to Green River Lake and I went to the point and then there's a bunch of annoying people down there and I left. No, but you feel better, don't you? I've never not gone to the point in the summertime without in, encountering some maniac. It's just, they, they go there. It's a funnel. But isn't it amazing just to get into green trees and dirt and you just get out. You don't even, you don't even have to go to the Rocky Mountains. 
You know, you can just, you can just go outside. Like you could take a walk around a barn and just to be outside is to like encounter goodness. Uh, listen, this is really, this is just the truth. We, our lives are so domesticated, it's crazy. And, and many of us have jobs where for eight hours a day, we sit in front of artificial screens with artificial light, typing artificial numbers into artificial spreadsheets, having calls that are mediated by technology. And we think this is not doing something to us. I want to assure you, it is doing something to us. Like Americans take the most pills of any country, like basically in the modern world. And it is, this is just me riffing here for a minute. I'm not a doctor, but one of the things we know is we live in these artificial realities more and more and more. And our humanity needs connection to goodness. And if you want to have a connection to goodness, number one, notice your life. Number two, get outside. Like just go outside, start noticing the things that are out there. Grow a garden, plant some flowers, hike in some quiet woods, raise some chickens. By the way, you know why everybody in the world right now is raising chickens? Because we're desperate to have a connection to goodness. Like we're, we're desperate to have a connection with life. We're desperate to have a connection that isn't artificial or mediated by someone else. We are desperate to like, to like feed a thing and have a thing feed us back. We're, we're desperate to enter into something that we've been doing for thousands of years and we've just like been divorced from it. It's why like even in like really frou-frou neighborhoods in big cities, you'll look in the back and there's a little chicken tractor. Yeah, that's why. That is absolutely why. And by the way, if you don't have one, maybe, maybe this is the year you get one. Number three, we experience goodness by becoming creators. God is a creator. He makes things. He takes things out of formless. He puts form on them. He takes them out of the void and he makes them adorned. Uh, if you want to encounter goodness, if you want to encounter God, then live into your, your God-ordained capacity to be creative. I'm just one little quick riff here and we don't have the scripture for it to just realize that. But in Genesis chapter one, 26 through 28, God looks at human beings, man and woman. And he says, he blessed them. and He tells them, be fruitful and multiply, right? How many of you know that's about having kids, but it's not just about having kids. What God is saying to man and woman is make something. Now in the, in the context of that little verse, it's like make kids. That's, that's one of our creative capacities to bring something from nothingness like God. But this is way more than that. Genesis is never almost all, it's almost never about the thing you think it is. It's always way bigger. And so God is saying to human beings, if you want to live the blessed life, it says he blessed them. He told them be fruitful and multiply. If you want to be blessed, if you want to enter into blessing, if you want to enter into goodness, if you want to have an encounter with goodness, if you want to know what it is to have the image of God on your life, the indelible fingerprint, be someone who makes something, make anything, bring, bring, bring order to chaos, bring form to what is formless in any way at all. Like, like make stuff. Uh, even, even if you don't get paid for it, just make stuff. Even if it isn't your occupation, make things. It will cause the spark in your heart to come alive. This is, this is universally true. Okay. So number one, goodness is connected to creativity. That's one of her friends. Number two, goodness is connected to constraint. Genesis chapter two, 15 through 17. Help me. Bam. Look at this. Look at this. 
The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over, gave him a job. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Constraint. Goodness is married to constraint. Uh, it would be easy to think that goodness is just like running through fields with our hair. You know, take your shirt off and run through the fields. You know, it's like, it's like a cigarette album cover. Just get naked and take a run, you know? We, we, we could have this idea that, that life is best lived without borders, you know? Some of us, our dream is like, I want to, I want to live where there are no rules or where rules don't apply to me. It's, it's one of the reasons why we, we so desperately want to be rich, because we want to avoid all the rules, you know? We, we want to have this idea that life is like where, like, or freedom is like where I can do anything I want, anytime I want, with anybody I want, any way I want, right? But that's actually moving in the opposite direction of goodness. That kind of goodness is idealism. But what we see in the story of the kingdom is that goodness is deeply connected to creation and creativity and constraint. Right in the middle of the garden, right in the middle of paradise, there's danger. There's danger. By the way, you can never divorce goodness from danger. This is, this is almost universally true. Goodness and danger, oh, they live side by side. God says, eat from every tree, care for the garden, name all the animals, but there's this one tree, don't eat from it. If you do, you'll die. Uh, one of the things I want to say about constraint in this little passage I hope you notice that there's more permission in this story than there is constraint. For some of you control freak parents, underline that. There's more permission than there is constraint. Okay? And just as it relates to parenting, I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but just as it relates to parenting, I just want to say, like in general, let your house be a place of more permission than constraint. Constraint's important. But even God, even God, like his perfect garden, it's filled with permission. Eat from every tree. Run all over the garden. There's just this one. Don't go near it. Don't eat that one. If you do, you'll die. Our lives are not meant to be endless rules, and yet without constraint, we will experience significant harm, even ruin. One of the things I hope you see this morning is that constraint is not opposed to goodness. In fact, goodness is lived right near constraint. Goodness is not a life lived on its own terms. Goodness is not an utterly self-directed life. Goodness comes with a measure of constraint because goodness and danger are almost always commingling. Couple examples. Jesus makes 180, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Jesus makes 180 gallons of wine for people who have already had what? A lot to drink. And 180 gallons of wine is like over 1,500 bottles. So there's this party in Cana, uh, it's a wedding, they drink all the wine, they're probably fairly soaked. Jesus' mom's like, dude, you should do something about it. He's like, man, maybe it's not my time, but okay, I will. And he has them fill the water pots, the hand-washing pots, all the way up with water, and there's like six of them, and they're between 20 and 30 gallons each. I like to go with 30, and so it's like, there's like 180 gallons of wine, right? 1,500 bottles for people who have already had 
plenty to drink. Uh, this is the perfect picture of everything I'm talking about. They dip out some of the wine and they take it to the guy who's running the party. And he's like, wow, this is the best wine. This never happens. Everybody always brings the good wine out first, gives everybody a taste. And when their senses are dulled, then they bring out the crummy wine because no one notices, but you've saved the what? The best to last, right? Like this is a story about goodness and surprise and danger. And Jesus is at the center of it. Dang. Constraint. Like it's an invitation to constraint. Not only that, not only that, but we see all kinds of words in the Bible about sex. Like this is a really important thing. Uh, the Bible actually says people should have sex. Like God's pro-sex. Uh, the other thing that you need to know is like you have a sex drive and you'll never be able to pray it away. You know? All you can do is what? Constrain it. And here's the other part. Uh, a sex drive that doesn't have constraints or limits put on it will lead your life to ruin. Here's why I know that. Because, because it, these situations come and sit with me in my office all the time. There's two, two main ways that people ruin their lives. No constraints on their sex lives and then telling lies about money, basically. There's other ways, but those are, those are the biggies. And the, and, the, and the reckoning that comes from those two is just, it's crazy, right? Like, this is, my, this is my favorite way to explain sex and even this point. Like, sex is like a nuclear power plant. It's real power. And if it's in its proper container, like you, you build the concrete in the right places and you put the reactor inside of the concrete in the right, I, I know nothing about nuclear power. <laughs> I just, what's that, uh, what's that really disturbing documentary? Chernobyl, Chernobyl that docu-series, holy moly. You know, the guy's like, we'll just fly our helicopter over it. Wrong, bam, you know, anyway. But you get the concrete, you put the nuclear reactor, that'd be like the concrete is like the constraint and the, the way that God basically says you should order your sex life. You, you build that concrete, you get that right? You put the sex inside of it, it will power a region. You know, there's power that is a blessing that comes from it. You get a crack in your concrete, what happens? It becomes a what? Regional problem. It's not a you problem. All of a sudden your problems start spilling over on everybody else, right? Man, how many, how many kids have gone to therapy because the concrete got cracked? You know, like all of them, right? That's right, the answer is all of them. By the way, I'm pro-therapy here. I've been to therapy. I'll go again, probably soon. <laughs> constraint, constraint. Like, why do we need constraint? Because goodness and danger are oftentimes like really close together really close together. The kingdom story is a story of goodness, but it's also an invitation into constraint. Uh, number three, let's go faster here. Contested, Genesis chapter three, verse one. Goodness is contested. Y'all know this story. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. By the way, we could do a whole theology on three one, right? Like you read that and go, my brain hurts from reading that. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say that? And y'all know the story, right? Like, 
Like he begins to question, what did God really say? And the woman's like, yeah, the Lord said we couldn't even touch the tree. And of course, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said what? Couldn't eat it, you know? And then all of a sudden this dialogue starts and, and, and right in the middle of the garden, filled with goodness, filled with goodness, one of the things we see is right up front. We're not even like, we're not even, we're not even four chapters into this thing and goodness is, is challenged. Goodness is like, is met, it's confronted, it's contested. The kingdom of heaven is contested. Adam and Eve go, they, expect, they inspect the tree and the forbidden fruit, and there they meet the enemy in the perfect garden. Uh, at this point, our hopes of a Disneyland idealism should be shattered. Uh, here's what I wanted to tell you this morning. Every single thing that's good will be challenged. Everything that's good, everything that God does in your life will be contested. It'll all get contested. There will be a confrontation every time. Lean into your creative capacity. You know, a few minutes ago, I was telling you, like God said, be fruitful and multiply, make stuff, like, and that's how you'll live a blessed life and you'll enter into goodness. Take me seriously. Uh, start doing stuff. Start painting. Uh, start making stuff. Like, uh, start a new business. Like, take out a loan and like go buy something and, and make it and then like sell something else and it'll start working and you'll feel, you'll feel inspired and all of a sudden you'll take Instagram photos and you'll be like, oh my God, oh, this is amazing. And then the thing after that Instagram photo is difficulty, right? How many of y'all been there? How many of y'all ever started painting? You're like, I just feel like God wants me to paint. And you started painting. And then the first thing that comes up is you look at that painting and you're like, this sucks. And then the next thought is, I suck. And all of a sudden, your, your buried insecurities that you haven't dealt with in a decade, they all come up, right? And then you have a memory of that one time where your dad like gave you a word that wasn't super affirming. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's all here. Or you start a business and you make a lot of money and then you go to your accountant and they give you a tax bill and you're like, what, I have to pay taxes? What? I, did, I didn't save that much. And, and you're like, well, surely there's something we can do. And the accountant looks at you and go, well, you can pay it. You're like, wait, can we do installments? By the way, I had to do that one time. Like I made a bunch of money and didn't save enough. And then all of a sudden I had a $10,000 tax bill. Dang, contested. And that ain't even the devil. That's just like the law. Yeah. Tell me it's not true. Everything good will be contested. Like some people will be like, you know, it's January. They're like, I'm going to, I'm going to take my health seriously this year. I'm going to lose some weight. By, by the way, it's a pandemic. I'm going to take my vitamin D and I'm going to lose some weight and walk. And I'm going to like, I'm going to lift weights. And then you lift weights two days. And then what happens? You hurt, you hurt. And you're like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, everything good gets challenged, gets challenged. And eventually everything good, especially if it's a kingdom dream, if you start like, if you start dreaming for other people, if you start dreaming about doing the things that Jesus actually said to do, uh, forgive your enemies, uh, visit those in prison, uh, take care of widows and orphans. Like if you start doing this stuff, like James, what is true religion? To care for widows and orphans. You start doing this, I promise you, I promise you, you will be encountered with a contest and it will be a cosmic spiritual contest from the devil. Like, whoa, I thought we were talking about goodness, Adam. Yes, yes, goodness, 
has some companions and one of them is challenge. The kingdom of heaven is, the story of the kingdom of heaven is one of confrontation and challenge. Like everywhere Jesus went, Jesus, Jesus would be out one day, he'd be like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And then over here, somebody would be like, ah, ah, there he is, son of you. And there'd be a demon over here. Like everywhere, y'all, y'all have read the Bible, right? By the way, all the demons, all the demons are always, they're in church. Read the gospel of Mark. Every demon in the gospel of Mark, like 85% of them are at church. I mean, they're here, right? I mean, maybe today, I don't know. But why, why was it that Jesus would be running around and being like, hey, bring me your sick. And then like demons would just be going crazy, like going nuts and like upending the meeting and trying to embarrass somebody or like, you know, what is it? It's, it's the challenge. You know, Jesus is the garden of Eden. He is the true Eden. Like the true Eden would show up and wouldn't you know it, the dang tree would show up too. Like this is how it works. Lean into goodness, you should. That's what the blessed life is. You'll encounter God, you'll be near him. And just know this, don't get discouraged when you get some pushback, it's part of it. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. All right, number, number four, we'll, I'm trying to go fast, sorry y'all. Chapter three, verse eight. Now, by the way, this is, after, this is after Adam and Eve have done the one thing they couldn't do, you know? This is after the challenge. This is after they failed the challenge. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking, walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. God comes out looking for him. He's like, hey, where y'all at? They're like, they, they sewed, they, they finally realized they were naked. They sewed some clothes and they hide from God. But even after the challenge, even after the failure, God comes looking for Adam and Eve. And the reason he's looking for them is he's, he's looking for communion. Like this is the story, like goodness is deeply connected to communion. Uh, and, and here's what I'm truly trying to get at here. Like, like God is not somebody, someone we can just hold at a distance. Like you can't, you can't really enter into goodness and hold God at a distance, especially with the moments or in the moments where you've really failed. God keeps coming and looking for you. He'll keep calling out your name. And if you run away from him, which that's our natural inclination, I get it. Like nobody, nobody wants to be put on the spot, especially when I failed. I oftentimes like to hide, but God keeps looking for us. He's looking for communion. And if you run away from him, then you're, then you're running away from what? Goodness, you're running away from goodness. It's like, like when we screw up, when we screw up and we, we retreat from God and God comes looking for us for, for communion because communion and God and goodness, they all go together. If we run away, we run away from goodness. Like the story of the Bible is one of goodness. It's one of creativity. It's one of, of challenge and constraint, but it's also one of communion. And even in the places where we were most weak, God wants to meet us. God wants communion with us and with each other. The solitary life is not the good life. You might need moments of solita solitary confinement, not in prison, but like the one you choose. Solitude for a minute is pretty good. Solitude for a long time, you're not made for it. No one is. It's one of the reasons why people are cracking out during this pandemic. We are not made to be apart. 
You know, people are missing their families and stuff. We're not made to be apart. The life where I don't need people, that ain't it. This is not the good life. Like the better your life gets is the one where you increasingly become a person who needs people. Not, Not in that like I need you to like make me a complete person, but I just need to be in your presence. Uh, the life where I hide all of my unseem- unseemly failures, it's not the good life. Or the life that forces me to show up fake and retreat because of who I really am, it's not the, real, it's not the good life. Goodness is connection to God, and goodness is connection to people, even when I'm a failure. All right, so what's the story for us? I'll wrap here. The story for us is that God does things and God's things are good. This world is filled with goodness. It's literally pregnant with goodness right now. And if we can learn to see it, we can enter into it. The story is that when we lean into God's good world, we will be invited into some things like constraint. Like lean into goodness, lean into creativity, be invited into constraint. The story is that in the middle of all that, we will be challenged. And if you are challenged, do not lose heart. And even in the places where you fail, you can take heart because God will reach out to you if you will not run away from him. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.